And a wonderful afternoon for it indeed. A little after 4 o'clock, a complete hour just about for you to call in and ask your questions about your job, your severance, your boss, workplace harassment, uh, whatever that is. Give us a call, Leah, here over the next hour to answer those calls. Phone lines already rocking and rolling, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You want to send an email over, we'll see if we can get a few of those as the uh, the afternoon rolls on. Help at employmenthour.com and always check out, as you know by now, severancepaycalculator.com before you make any sort of decision. If uh, for yourself or just for interest's sake, how much you'd be owed if you were ever uh, out of a job, say Monday morning, then you know where to go it would be your uh, your first place job. More details on that are, uh, are, are or is coming up, however the English is. Probably <laughs> strong suit, Leah. But uh, we always start, my friend, with a little uh, little week that was, something that's been happening in your office. So uh, what's going on, pal? I'm glad you didn't ask me to correct you. I'm terrible <laughs> at that, too. <laughs> um, well, as you know, a couple times on the show, I've, I've asked for people to reach out and... And let me know if there's something that you want me to explain, because that's what this show is about. I mean, it's a call-in show first and foremost. So if you have questions and you want to run something by us, you know, feel free to call in over the next hour anytime. But in the downtime, we do like to discuss hot topics, general sort of knowledge. And um, this last week, I had somebody reach out to me. Uh, who says they are a longtime listener, first time caller, and nice. uh, yeah, and wanted to hear uh, more about overtime. And I think that um, overtime is such a fantastic topic because um, it's so critical, and it is um, a way of being paid for your work that many people don't actually end up um, pursuing, uh, either because they don't know what that they're entitled to it or they're outside of the very limited time frame to pursue it, uh, or they've entered into uh, an agreement that they think is legal uh, and would prevent them from pursuing overtime but is actually illegal mm. and would allow right. them to pursue overtime through the Employment Standards Branch. And I think this past week in particular, um, we heard that story about the animators uh, from Vancouver who were working on the film Sausage Party uh, who were recently awarded overtime. And um, I think that there was some general surprise that employees in the film industry are entitled to overtime. You know, anecdotally, there's this idea that some employees in certain industries are just overworked by nature of their trade. Uh, And I think the film industry is one of them, you know, almost to a point of pride in some cases. Uh, There are, of course, exceptions to the overtime rule. The biggest one being if you're a manager uh, and if you're a true manager. Uh, But beyond that, the exceptions are far narrower than we might guess or commonly believe. You know, even those industries that we would imagine are definitely going to be exempted from overtime payment, like truck drivers, aren't completely exempted. They just have a slightly different set of rules. So they they have different thresholds as to when overtime pay kicks in. And even if you are exempted from an entitlement to overtime pay, there are still many, perhaps lesser known, actually definitely lesser known, sections of the Employment Standards Act that will apply to you and are specifically there to ensure that you are being adequately compensated for the work that you do. So, I mean, let's start with regular overtime, which most people are familiar with when we talk about overtime. So uh, in BC, it means over eight hours in a day. So if you work over eight hours in a day, you're entitled to time and a half. Once you start working over 12 hours in a day, you're entitled to double time. Uh, That's regardless of how many hours you end up working in the week. Okay. Alternatively, you can also work more than 40 hours in a week and you're entitled to time and a half for every hour worked over 40 hours in a week. 
You cannot agree to work overtime hours and not be paid for it. You just can't do it. The only things you can do as an employee are um, to agree to averaging agreements or to accept loo time instead of overtime. But that has to be at your request. The employer can't ask that of you or can't force you into it. You have to consent to that. And loo time, remember, has to be given at the overtime rate. So loo time, for those who don't know, is instead of being paid uh, a time and a half for the overtime that you do, you essentially bank those hours so that you can take that time off later on. you know, my brother actually just ran into this where he had worked an extra, the you know, equivalent of an extra five or six days um, of overtime and was just getting loo time for those five or six days. But really, you should be getting time off at time and a half at the rate at which you would have been compensated if you had been paid. Uh, so you can agree to loo time or you, or you need to be paid. Either way, you're entitled to overtime unless you're one of those very narrow ex- exemptions or if you are a true manager. There's also a rule in the Employment Standards Act that says that every week you need 32 straight hours free from work. So if you work during that period of time, you're entitled to time and a half, even if even if you don't exceed eight hours in a day or 40 hours in a week. So if you work seven days in a row, one of those days needs to be paid at time and a half, even if you didn't work more than 40 hours in that week, because you need that break. You need 32 hours, straight hours free from work each week. In addition to those, there's also a general prohibition in the Employment Standards Act that as far as I know applies to everybody, which is that you cannot work excessive or unhealthy hours. Now, you know, what what counts as excessive and what counts as unhealthy is probably going to be some manner uh, of subjective. Um, there's right. no definition in the act. The the various, um, the cases will, will help to give some parameters over what counts as excessive or unhealthy. But, I mean, that's worth keeping in mind that even if you are exempted from straight overtime pay, that doesn't mean that your employer can work you to the bone and not pay you for it. So if you're in any of these situations, either entitled to overtime and not being paid it or working seven days a week without getting that 32 hours um, free from work each week or not being paid the time and a half for it, or if you're just being worked excessively, uh, what you should do is, I mean, you can call a lawyer if you like, but to be honest, probably the best route is to just go through the Employment Standards Branch. Uh, It's a very, very user-friendly tribunal. They've got... Uh, they've got the complete jurisdiction to handle these kinds of complaints. Um, and there's tons of self-help guides online. So if you just Google Employment Standards Branch Overtime, you'll see full fact sheets. You'll see um, a step-by-step on how to make a complaint. Um, and then you essentially j- just need to do that within six months of the of the thing that you're asking for compensation for. Um, so that's important to keep in mind because six months does not give you a lot of time to make the complaint. What if you're in the situation where it's either more than 40 hours a week or uh, more than eight hours in a day and, and you've been told don't work the overtime, but you had to do the overtime to get the job done? Do you still get paid for it? Very, very good question. So if you have a contract that says you're not supposed to work overtime and right. we won't pay you for it, then you working is your own decision at that point. Okay. Right. What you can't okay. agree to is if your boss says, we might need you to work overtime from time to time, but we're not going to pay you for it. Right. So, the, right. I mean, it's a distinction with a difference, but if, if your contract says you aren't, you sh- cannot take overtime hours without consent and permission, and then you go ahead and work okay. those overtime hours, that's on you. You're still entitled to be paid your regular pay, uh, but you won't, uh, you won't get it at time and a half. 
Does that uh, do these rules still apply to the? And I know uh, quite often this stuff doesn't, but does this apply to the union set? Because you mentioned off the top the uh, the movie, the film workers. Generally, they work under IATSE, which is a movie union, or NABET, the other, which is a smaller union, generally for TV. Does overtime still apply in a union setting? Because I know you guys generally can't deal with that, right? So it absolutely can, but it depends on what uh, the collective bargaining agreement um, provides. Right. Okay. And most CBAs will have some sort of provision for overtime pay, um, you know, and most CBAs and most contracts will cover what overtime pay looks like. So a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm getting a salary. So that automatically covers overtime. Um, but that's not true. Unless you have a contract or a collective bargaining agreement that says that your salary is meant to cover overtime hours as well, you are entitled to overtime pay, even if that means you have to take your salary prorated over 40 hours a week and then pay you that additional amount at time and a half. But yes, unionized employees are certainly entitled to whatever their collective bargaining agreement says that it is, um, and most will provide for overtime pay. Gotcha. I know you got more to talk about. We got lots more as well. And the phone lines are open 604 280 9898 and star 9898 on your cell. Questions about this topic or many more, any more over the next uh, 50 minutes or so. Bring them on, 45 minutes rather. We'd, uh, we'd love to talk to you here on the Employment Hour right here on CKNW. And the lines are open indeed till uh, just before 5 o'clock, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. would love to talk to you about your employment issues or questions you've always wondered. Bring them on. That is why we are here each week. The email address, help at employmenthour.com. Before we get into the topic of harassment and some emails, Lee, I think you had, uh, you had uh, another one to go with the uh, with the week that was, yeah? I do, yeah. No one asked me to okay. talk about this one, but um, sure. it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's something that, continues to come up uh, time and time again, I think pretty much every Mm day, Uh, either speaking to um, an employee who's come in with a severance package or an employer client who wants to terminate somebody. Um, And that's always a difficult conversation to have with one of my employer clients because um, I think that one of the things I love most about the ability to do some employer side work is that I can help companies be fair to employees on their way out the door. Um, and to be fair, not every company wants to be fair, uh, but I try to only work with the ones that do. Um, but right. with short service employees, um, there is definitely in the last, I would say five, probably 10 years, but certainly over the last five years, a dramatic increase in the entitlements for employees who have been employed for three years or less. And we're talking in some situations, employees who have been employed for three years or three months or six months or nine months, like really, really short periods of time. And they're entitled to uh, what some people feel is a staggering amount of notice. And there really? are all sorts of reasons for that. But I wanted to just to just review that uh, briefly because, um, you know, number one, it's very important for employers um, who are hiring individuals Uh, Because if you aren't sure about a fit, if you haven't really had a lot of time to interview somebody, um, you want to make sure that they're on a good contract, that you've got them on good probationary periods. Because if you decide six or nine months in that this guy or girl isn't working for you, that's an expensive termination. And it can be actually more expensive than terminating somebody who's been there for five or six years, which sounds kind of crazy, but that is the state of BC law right now. And it's also really important for 
employees to know because I feel very strongly that a lot of people aren't even calling. They aren't even having their severance package reviewed because they think, I've been there for under a year. There's no way I'm entitled to more than a week or there's no way that I'm entitled to more than a month or there's no way that I'm entitled to more than two or three months. And guess what? You probably are. Um, It's a difficult thing to wrap your mind around because, you know, you feel like, why should I get a longer severance period than I've been employed? Uh, But that is what our law is providing for right now. And I think a big reason why they're doing that, why the courts are, is because... um, you know, a severance a severance package is is there for a terminated employee to help you find other work, right? That is that is the primary purpose of a severance package, and for individuals who are going back out into the workforce, a, what can often feel like a very competitive workforce, with this let's call it what can look like a black mark on their resume right. of, you know, right. six right. months or nine months of short duration. It just looks, it can look bad to prospective employers, especially if you've got other candidates, all other things being equal, you might not trust the guy or girl who's only been there for a short period of time. Um, so there's this general feeling that people who have these short stints of employment are uh, find it more difficult to find other employment, and so they are entitled to longer periods of of notice. So when I'm saying longer periods of notice, I mean like the floor for the vast majority of employees who are employed for three years or less is going to be two or three months, and wow. yeah, and that number will only go up depending on. Um, things like inducement. So if you were terminated or if you were induced from a long-term job um, to join this other company and then fired right. after six months, that'll factor into a longer notice period. Um, you know, if, if you can show evidence of a particularly difficult job market, you can also have that notice period bumped up. Um, you know, I had a trial back in, in August with a uh, with a client of mine who was employed for six months, and he was a sales. He was a, he was in outside sales, and right. the defendant's position throughout all of it was this guy's a sales guy. You know, he can go to any company selling any product, go door to door, and find another job. You know what? He doesn't. He should not get more than two months in this situation. Right. But it took him seven months to find work, and the court awarded him six months. Wow. You know, so if you can show that it's difficult, despite your best efforts to get out there and find other work, to find other to find another job for yourself, the court is going to recognize that and and increase the notice period accordingly. Now, there's also another decision that came out last August that says that no. if you are a short service employee in a management position or in a particularly specialized or technical role, that floor is actually four to five months. And in wow. that, and in that, really? yeah, and in that case, that individual was employed for nine months, or sorry, she was employed for two years um, as a manager. It took her nine months to find other employment, and she was awarded eight months, eight months Jeez. for two years, um, and she was in her forties. You know, so we're not talking about individuals who are grappling with ageism as part of the interview process. We're talking about people who should have no difficulty in finding other work, but do, and the courts are recognizing that. So again, extremely important from the perspective of employers to have to have these contracts in place, but also for employees to know, A, if you're terminated after a short period of time, you're, you are almost certainly entitled to more than you think you are, but B, review that contract for yourself too, um, because... Right. 
if you sign off on a termination provision that limits you to one week, we're talking about a potential difference between one week of severance entitlements and six months. And that's yeah, massive. That's massive, especially yeah. if it's going to take you a long period of time to founder the work. So um, yeah. short service employees, just I think it's just kind of like a passion topic of mine. I just I talk about it every chance I get at this point. Well, yeah, and we've said on past shows, and I know Lior has that in general, short service employees in many provinces are, are, are treated disproportionately better than long service. So it's, it's worth finding out, worth going to the severance pay calculator, and worth uh, at least emailing you. Because it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find work any quicker, especially like you said, if you're specialized, like in the radio business, or if you're a CEO, or a, you know something like that. It could be a long time till you get a gig, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Even if you don't want to take that step of calling a lawyer, even if, if it's only fifteen minutes, it really doesn't take that much much time. See right. what happens, right? If you're terminated. Start looking for other work and start keeping track of those efforts. Right. If you find yeah. other work in two weeks, good for you. Sign off yep. on the package that gives you two months. That's a windfall to you. Start your other job. Get on with your life. But if you're out there and you're finding that it's taking four or five months to find other work, you know those kinds of opportunities just aren't really manifesting into actual job offers. You know, it's not too late. Give us a call. You've got two years from the date of your termination to contact a lawyer and pursue a severance claim. All that I would really strongly encourage you to do in that scenario is to make sure that you're keeping track of all the things that you do to look for other work, because that's the only argument that a company will have against you is that you weren't looking hard enough. 604-280-9898 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. We'll get to the uh, first one of the day. Natalie, thank you for uh, for hanging on. How are you this afternoon? Oh, good, thank you. How are you? Great. Uh, what's your concern? Thank you for calling. Well, thank you for letting me on. I work for a company. I I don't know if I should say their name or not. But, don't have to. Um, no. Okay, well, I'm a cashier, took on a second job, 50 years old, and needed the extra job to pay the rent. I'm appalled at what I've discovered at the labor practices. There's a woman that I work with there. Most of them are women that have immigrated here to Canada. Mm-hmm. And they just that was their first job in Canada, and they've been there ever since. One of the women there is in her 60s. Her hands and feet are so gnarled from arthritis that she can barely walk. Oh, um, my gosh. Uh, and for eight-hour shifts, you are not allowed to sit down. And there's no staff break room in order to sit down and have a lunch. It's heartbreaking. And these women are made to feel that they have no, um, like this is what they deserve. They don't deserve any better. They've not, they still make minimum wage. Natalie, you're so, um, speaking to my heart right now, I feel like, you know, I, I did this uh, big story with Global a couple of months back about uh, subway employees who were dealing with the same thing. Um, immigrant employees who are just trying to get their, their permanent residency status. And they feel like if they make a complaint, if they try, if you know, if they even so much yeah. as make a peep, then their mm-hmm. job is done. And it's so, so I did make a complaint. Good. I did because the same thing, like at the one store, I work at two different stores. The one store, they allowed us crates. Um, they took our, after we've become rebranded as a new company, um, and they took our crates away. Did you, sorry, so, did you say that they allowed you crates? Yeah, yellow crates to sit on. Well, as soon as this wow. company took over, 
they said no more crates, taking your crates away. Um, and I, I indicated to my manager and I said, well, if I get a doctor's note, no, sorry, I can't put you on shift unless you oh. um, are able to stand the entire time without the crates. So I won't yeah, that's be a big bowl you wrong right there. Yeah. That, John, you put it so well. That is a huge bowl of wrong. Um, Natalie, I would really strongly encourage you to contact me off air so that we can chat about how best to tackle this um, on, on the whole. But generally speaking, A, it is a breach of the Employment Standards Act to not give somebody a break over eight hours. If you're working five or more hours, you need 30 minutes. And it doesn't have to be paid, but you need to provide those breaks. That's full stop. That is uh, that is in the Employment Standards Act and a complaint can be made through the branch. And number two, if you have a doctor's note um, that you need to sit on a crate or better yet, a chair, like you know, normal um, human beings, um, then you know, that's something that they need to accommodate in the workplace. And a failure to do that is a potential human rights code contravention. So like John said, huge bowl of wrong, lots of things that we can do here to unpack. Natalie, oh, hang on the line. We'll, uh, these we'll give women you some are info. amazing, Sorry, strong women. They're in their late 60s. And they've been working there for so long. And oh. they, um, they're just, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, and they just, they take a lot of pride in the work. And they're just, they're on the side of their employer for some reason. Um, you know, but I just, I've tried to convince them, no, you, this is not right. There's nothing, the world's not going to end if you get a crate to sit on to rest every 15, <laughs> 20 minutes or half an hour just to rest for a moment. Yeah, you know, exactly. and, oh, thank you so much. I will contact you off there. Thank yeah, you. please do, Natalie. Okay. Natalie, bye. appreciate that call. And uh, here's the uh, number. I'll give it to you quickly before we break 604 283 3123 and help at employmenthour.com. Glenn, I see you. Hang on the line. We'll get to you and your calls as well. 604 280 9898. It's the Employment Hour on CKNW. We will get to our discussion about harassment here, but uh, first, as always, phone calls are top priority. Love talking to you. When you have questions, please bring them on. Get some answers. 604 280 or star 9898 on your cell is the way to go for the remainder of the show. Get to uh, to Glenn. Hey, Glenn, good afternoon. Thanks for hanging on. How are you, fellow? Good, brother. How are you? Good. What's uh, what's your concern? Um, uh, not so much the concern. I first wanted to say it's a very good show. Thanks, uh, very Thank informa- very informative, good public service, right? Uh, you know, I would say that uh, the journalistic money sh- uh, should flow to these sorts of shows. And uh, my impression is that um, employment standards is something that has not been made quite right in BC. In the in the 90s, I thought it was too offside. The uh, NDP was quite uh, too much. Then the BC Liberals were there too little, and I think there's a hole here. So this type of a hole, a vacuum in the uh, information to the uh, the public interest. So when I uh, heard this uh, Mademoiselle speaking, I thought this is very good. It's very informative, and um, these sorts of shows are, are are very good for the public interest. That was my thought. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks very much, Glenn. And, you know, to the extent that you've got some thoughts or ideas about, you know, how the Employment Standards Act can be improved, it's actually being overhauled 
for the first time in 20 years, and they are doing public consultations. So um, if you have a particular um, thought or idea that you want to pass along, um, you should look it up and Google it and, and get involved, lend your voice to it, because the the people that we need to hear the most from are the employees that are affected by this legislation. Um, you know, unfortunately, not everybody's going to be listening to talk radio or be getting that information. And I, I too, am constantly looking for ways of getting that information out there to the people who need it. And so I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad that other people are listening. But, you know, there's there's so much more that we could do to get the information of the get the information into the hands of people who who need it and use it. Uh, if I may, I just want to say one last thing. If uh, hospitality mm-hmm. people could get caught up a little quicker, I think is something that should, there should be some moral suasion there. Yeah, you know what? Hospitality industry is is like, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show about, you know, this these stereotypes that we kind of have about industries, but I think along with the film industry, the hospitality industry is one of those industries, one of those jobs that people think that anything goes, that the rules don't really apply to them yeah. in these kinds of situations, and it's just not true. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a call to make to a lawyer. Um, and, you know, part of this Part of the show as well, in addition to informing people, is trying to make lawyers a bit more accessible. You know, I, I'm not right. scary. Give us a call right. either on air or off. I'm, I'm happy to talk with people. That's why I do what I do is to spread that information. So if you have a question about, you know, I'm a server in, at such and such place and I'm wondering if this particular law applies to me, call me, you know, and, and we'll, we'll review it together or I can point you in the right direction. Look, I'm a capitalist, but I'll tell you something. When the employee stuff works out with the employer in, in, in the best way, then the whole system, I think, works beautifully. Completely so agree, Glenn. Quite, quite good. Okay, see you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate that. And just like that, he is gone, but he's right. I mean, hospitality's tough. Car dealerships, there's some, there's some, and it's not always out of malice. Sometimes it's just, it's just ignorance. They don't know what the laws are and yeah. how they're supposed to handle employees, right? It's just the development of the industry, right? I mean, right. Um, things just kind of build on themselves and snowball. And I find too that employers aren't going to be the ones to tell their employees, hey, you should be taking advantage of these laws that will. Right force me to pay you more, you know? And so if you're going to let your employer get away with it, they're probably going to take you up on that. Um, and again, that's not necessarily born out of malice. A lot of the times it's born out of ignorance. A lot of the times it's also born out of laziness. But I do think that the best thing that we can do for everybody, employers and employees, is to arm them with information and knowledge, because that is how we uh, we coalesce, as Glenn very rightly put, into a functional and working society when everybody, when everything is functioning the way that it should. Hey, we're doing our thing, man. We're giving out the information and it's, uh, you know, it's waking people up and it's like, you know, it's it's like you say, there's across provinces, across countries that, you know, the laws are changing and developing, but man, south of the border, it's basically employment at will, right? Which is they can basically let you go whenever they want for whatever reason, as long as it's not illegal. That's not a cool place to be working. Isn't that crazy? And you get a yeah. lot of people Employment here at will is not good. No. And, yeah. and you get, you know, a lot of people here too that say... Oh, you know, I, I, you know, can't believe that this is all that I'm entitled to, or um, you know, that that the new job will eat into the severance entitlements, and you know, that's obviously a whole topic on its own. But mm-hmm. what I what I try to remind people in those scenarios is that Canada is actually really, really good to its employees, and that you know, thank oh. God you're not employed in the state of California, because if you're employed in the state of California and you don't have a contract that provides for uh, what you're entitled to. 
you're terminated, you're out the door, no notice, no severance, nothing. You know, you yeah, better just brutal, hope right? you've got savings. So, yeah. Yeah. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell is the number to call in, ask a question like Glenn did, or uh, make a comment. Love those as well. Uh, harassment primer. Uh, basically, the overall question, what is harassment? What do you consider harassment? Yeah, and that is the single most important question in a topic like right. this. Um and, and I feel like it's one that I tackle a lot in my initial intakes with individuals who come to me saying that there's harassment in the workplace because I think that, you know, harassment's obviously going to be very subjective and it can cover any manner of types of conduct. But there is going to be a difference between something that feels unfair and something that rises to the level of constituting harassment from a legal sense. Right. Um, you know, WorkSafe BC has a helpful definition, a place to start. And they define it as any kind of inappropriate conduct or comment by a person towards another that that person knows or should know uh, can cause humiliation or would otherwise be unwelcome. And so that can be verbal. It often is verbal. It can include spreading rumors. Uh, It definitely includes calling somebody derogatory names. Uh, And of course, any kind of unwanted physical touching or aggression is also going to constitute harassment. It's it's a fairly wide ambit, but the uh, WorkSafeBC also defines what harassment is not. And harassment is not a reasonable action taken by an employer or a manager relating to the management of workers. So, you know, getting a less than glowing performance review, as long as it's supportable and made in good faith, is not going to be harassment. A change in a policy that that you like or that's always been in your favor doesn't count as harassment. A difference Mm -hmm. of opinion doesn't count as harassment, you know, so long as it's respectfully communicated. You know, but outside of reasonable steps taken to manage the workplace, targeted actions, any kind of targeted actions or comments that cause you as an employee to feel intimidated or anxious or isolated very likely can constitute some form of harassment as it's defined by WorkSafe BC. You know, it's amazing in that in that whole you know, lecture you gave there, you didn't mention really sexual harassment. And I know that's part of it, but people think automatically when it's blank harassment, it's got to be sexual in the workplace. And that is not it. That's only one, that's only one spoke on the wheel, right? Oh yeah. And I guess I meant to kind of refer to that when I said unwanted physical conduct. Right. Um, But yeah, sexual harassment is probably the one that I deal with the most. Um, You know, there's bullying, which I see Mm -hmm. quite often. Somebody who feels like they're being marginalized in the workplace, pushed down, they're being yelled at, screamed at by their boss, not treated properly. But sexual harassment is still so prevalent. I mean, it's uh, it's it's both, um, you know, it's still kind of insidious in a lot of ways where you just have comments about somebody's sex or comments about somebody's appearance. Um, but then you also have things that are just uh, just blatant, you know, I, and you hear a lot about it and not to stereotype industries, but on factory floors about, you know, women having their bottoms grabbed or, um, you know, people um, being subjected to a lot of pornography in the workplace that they don't want to be a part of. That all constitutes sexual harassment as well. And that that's something that would certainly fall under that ambit as it's defined by WorkSafeBC. 
Want to take a, a short break here, line up some more calls and continue our chat on harassment. If you uh, have uh, been a victim of this or if you have any questions about this topic, feel free to call in. We'd love to talk to you. Nine, uh, pardon me, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Email is help at employmenthour.com. More of the Employment Hour is on the way. Stick around right here on CKNW. We are back at it here. The number for you to call in. Still have some time. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Talking about the uh, talk, topic rather of harassment. And you, know, you, you mentioned uh, just before we took there our last break there, Leah, about, you know, the guys in the workplace floor and making cracks, you know, slapping the girl on the butt and, you know, pornography on the phone, so-and-so. And, you know, in the past, I mean, this is kind of like, ah, you know, boys will be boys, but that doesn't wash anymore. So what are the, uh, what are the employer's obligations when it comes to that sort of behavior and any other? It doesn't wash. Um, but again, I mean, this is something that we were talking about before the break too. Your employer, first of all, can't do something that it doesn't know uh, that doesn't know about. And right. oftentimes it's not going to do something that they think that you otherwise accept. Um, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of companies are going to, will mount a defense that says that, you know, this is kind of, company culture and you participated in in it as well and you know there are certainly that's that's not going to fly as much anymore um but it's important to to make that complaint known to your employer um primarily so that they are aware of it and so that you immediately um, you, they, they will immediately have the obligation to investigate it and fix it because an employer's obligations to their employees in the workplace, first and foremost, is to maintain a workplace free from harassment and bullying. Uh, that is an employer's legal obligation to its employees. And that arises from an employee's entitlement to come in and do your work without being harassed. You know, every employee has the entitlement, the legal entitlement, the legal right to work in a safe atmosphere, to not be humiliated or intimidated or slapped by those that you work with. This is your right. And it's so important that that gets across. You know, no employee has to endure or suffer being harassed in the workplace, no matter how minor, and no matter if it's a one-off, even if you just think it's one time, it'll never happen again. That's not something that you need to deal with. WorkSafe BC has specific obligations that employers have to abide by too. And this includes having a policy and a statement on harassment in the workplace. You know, usually it has to be uh, some sort of declaration to the commitment um, of having a workplace free from harassment, including the definition of what harassment is, letting people know where they can find the company's harassment policies. Uh, and those policies and procedures have to be in place and they need to deal with how to report and deal with incidences, um, incidents and complaints. These policies need to outline what an employee uh, who is experiencing harassment in the workplace needs to do in terms of reporting their complaint uh, and what the company will do in response to that complaint in, in turn. Uh, the policies obviously need to be made public, of course, that the workers need to know that they need to be made informed that these policies exist and they should be accessible. Um, so 
generally speaking, it's uh, the the main kernel of the obligation is to maintain a workplace free from harassment. And then these there are these offshoot laws that say part of your obligation and satisfying this greater obligation is to have written mm-hmm. policies in place that you make known to your employees that give your employees um, the the absolute certainty that harassment is not something that's going to be tolerated and that if you're experiencing harassment, this is the path that you need to go down. So the employer should have these policies uh, available, not only available, but they should be re- uh, read by each employee and signed off on rather than sitting in some cabinet in the seventh floor, right? Yes. I mean, and I think that even a lot of, you know, the, the new version of cabinet on the seventh floor is on the company's intranet. And who goes right. on the company's intranet? You know, what right. What I encourage my employers to do is, uh, my employer clients to do, is to uh, make the harassment policy a, an appendix or a schedule to an employment contract. You know, right. or, and so that people, everybody as part of the onboarding process signs off on this. That is the, that is the simplest and most elegant way of of being able to show your employees and to show a court if need be that mm-hmm. har- harassment policy and stopping harassment in the workplace preventing harassment in the workplace is your number one priority that's it, it is included as part of the uh, original contract on which you employ somebody it's part of their terms and conditions um so yes make it known have meetings to go over it train your supervisors and managers in how to recognize harassment and bullying on how to respond to the situation complaint um and especially right. in that those individuals know what the procedures are, um, the, what the procedures in place are for responding to a complaint. So, got a couple minutes to go here, so we'll probably finish off with this. Now, if you, on the other side of the coin is the employee. What do you do if you feel that you're being harassed or bullied in the workplace? Yeah, and you know, I'm kind of in answering this question, thinking a little bit about what, about what Natalie said um, earlier, the call earlier uh, about how yeah. there are so many workers here who just don't feel empowered to do anything. And I know that she wasn't talking about harassment, but anytime you, you know, it's so easy for me to sit here on the radio and say, you know, make the complaint, uh, you know, just use your voice and get out there. But, you know, the, the I'm starting with the premise that you feel like you have a voice in the workplace and you feel like you're going to be listened to by the employer, because obviously I think that's what you need to do as an employee in this situation is follow the policies that that they have put in place for you. You know, you've got the right to a harassment-free workplace, and to the extent that your employers have followed the law and have these policies and procedures in place, make put them to work for you. Make that complaint, you know, move up the chain and ensure that it's adequately addressed. But it's really not feasible for everybody. You know, some people don't feel empowered to speak. Some people might just be afraid um, uh, of, you know, what the consequence for their job if they speak up or they might just be shy and they just don't want to immediately escalate things. And, you know, I, that really shouldn't stop you, but I do understand why somebody would feel that way. So at the very least, at the very least, make make a written record of the complaint. Right, I was going to say. Yeah, you know, just start papering your file. Put it put it in an email to yourself so you've got the date and time uh, and write down what happened, who did it, how it was dealt with or not dealt with and hold on to this for the future if you need it. Uh, but, you know, better yet, send the email or emails once you have a couple to the person who's offending you or your supervisor uh, or HR. Because if you don't feel comfortable making that initial complaint, and again, I understand why you wouldn't, at least start compiling a record of everything that's happening in the workplace because you never know how bad something is going to get. And I honestly think that 
no matter how afraid you are, no matter how shy or no matter how kind of, um, you know, disenfranchised you feel, there's always going to come a tipping point. If something goes on for long enough, there will come a tipping point where you will say enough is enough. And even if this costs me my job, even if this costs me a demotion, I've got to, I've got to speak up. You know, you mentioned being afraid. So, I mean, can you be punished for bringing forward a harassment complaint? No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that that doesn't that doesn't stop employers from punishing people in right, right. Um, in less explicit ways. You know, I th- I think very few companies are dumb enough to demote somebody who just made a harassment complaint. Um, but it is you know reprisal at any level. You know, even if it's just kind of being iced out a little bit in the workroom is technically illegal. Uh, you know, again, you as an employee have the right to a harassment-free workplace and your employer has the obligation to give that to you. So if you bring forward a complaint of harassment and you're punished for it, penalized, or you know, even if you're just kind of ignored, these are called reprisal actions and reprisal actions are illegal. Reprisal actions can actually lead to the constructive termination of your employment, um, which would entitle you to severance. And possibly in addition to severance could lead to bad faith or punitive damages. So although I understand it's intimidating, the law is so good about um, insulating employees in this situation. You know, So yes, you might be afraid of bringing these complaints forward, but if you're then punished, guess what? You had the original harassment complaint. Now you've got a reprisal complaint on your hands as well. Let's take it one step further. You bring about a harassment complaint. Are you thinking you, you think it's harassment? Investigation is done. It turns out it wasn't a harassment complaint, or it was a complaint, but it wasn't really harassment. Can you then be fired because you brought that about and it didn't come to fruition? So, I mean, first of all, you can be fired anytime for any reason, right? right. If if you think that um, because you made a harassment complaint, you're being fired, that's technically a reprisal action. But mm-hmm. if nothing came about it, if you know, if um, if they if they did the investigation and they found that it wasn't actually harassment, it was just you know right. a difference in personality or a difference in opinion, yep. then that is not something that is terminable for cause. Gotcha. Um, but if you made a bad faith complaint, so if you're just trying to target somebody, you know, say if you're the bully yeah. um, and you're making a complaint about somebody just to get them in trouble, and somehow that comes out in the wash, um, I'm not going to go so far as to say that that in and of itself is a fireable offense from a cause perspective, but that's certainly going to start the paperwork to terminate you for cause on a strong note. Um, So you definitely want to make sure that, I mean, really, it's it's a very, very simple threshold to pass. If you feel, you know, and, and it's bonafide and you're making this in good faith, if you feel that you're being harassed, then make the complaint. And if it comes back that you weren't, then you weren't, and there's no problem with that. The only problem arises is if something's uncovered to suggest that you are maliciously targeting somebody or that you lied in order to get somebody in trouble. You're out to get somebody, and it, yeah. uh, it went uh, it went sideways, and you end up getting in trouble for it, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. But that's yeah. that's so rare. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't really you know mess with those kinds of harassment and bullying complaints. I think a lot of people yeah. mischaracterize it, you know, and I think that that's why the definition is so hard to pin down. Um, people feel that, you know, especially if they get a new manager and all of a sudden the new manager starts writing them mm-hmm. up, you know, they feel that that's unfair, that they feel that that's harassment. Gotcha. But if that new manager is, you know, taking these steps in good faith, 
um, and that's what they truly believe, then that's not harassment, even if you feel that it is. But you're, it's still within your right to make that complaint if you feel that way. Good stuff for this afternoon, my friend. We'll leave it from there. You want to get a hold of Leah, Lior, the rest of the team at the firm, no problem. 604-283-3123. The number help at employmenthour.com is the email address, vancouveremploymentlawyers.ca. And as we mentioned before, you sign anything, look at anything, make a move, always go to severancepaycalculator.com. Till next time, it's been the Employment Hour right here on CKNW.